At the crux of every survival story is a pivotal decision point. The choices we make when the stakes are high can mean the difference between salvation and struggle, misery and hope, life and death. When it comes to dire situations in the backcountry, the options can be imperfect, and the time in which to weigh them is often short. In today's episode, we witness the fast decision-making of three separate survivors, all at the heart of one historic and catastrophic flash flood. On August 16, 2008, heavy rainfall caused flood water to tear through the Havasupai Reservation of the Grand Canyon. More than 450 hikers, campers, and villagers were evacuated. The flood would permanently alter the landscape of Havasupai, as well as the lives of all those who were caught in its fury. I made a decision to survive. You're in that survival mode. The the idea of dying wasn't in my head. I knew immediately it was the worst case scenario. I was in a fight for my life situation. Whenever you walk out on these trails, you're in their house. I'm Louisa Albanese, and you're listening to Out Alive by Backpacker. In each episode of this podcast, we'll bring you real stories of real people who survived the unsurvivable. I saw the rope zip through the rappel ring, and I couldn't do anything. Learn what went wrong, what went right, and how you can escape if the worst-case scenario happens to you. There is no way we would find anybody alive. Havasu Canyon, a tributary of the Colorado River, is home to picturesque waterfalls and cerulean swimming holes, a large campground, and the village of Supai, a remote community that's been home to the Havasupai tribe for centuries. The region's otherworldly waters and red sandstone walls draw up to 40,000 visitors every year. Havasupai is a sacred place. This is Nathan, a photographer and guide who's explored every corner of the Grand Canyon. The summer of 2008 was his first visit to Havasupai. I tell people you will not find a more beautiful place in the entire American Southwest than inside Havasupai, even in the Grand Canyon. And I think people need to go in there with that kind of respect. It's not just a place to recreate, it's a place of intense beauty that commands respect. Havasupai is, it's unbelievable. My name is Adam Hyam. I'm originally from Orange County, California. Was going to school at Brigham Young University during the Havasupai flood. I was bringing a group of my friends that had never been before. So there was eight of us total, seven of my friends, and it was an absolutely incredible experience. Launching off of cliffs, having a good time. Crystal uh, clear turquoise waters, beautiful canyon, blue skies, beautiful day. This is Mike Dieter, who hiked into Havasu Canyon with two friends. Decided to just spend the day um, relaxing by the falls, took some pictures, played in the water for a few hours. I've done just about everything there is to do in the Grand Canyon. 
uh, to have a suit by it was kind of like one of those things I I hadn't done. And it was my first time down there, and it turns out to be the worst situation I have ever experienced in the canyon because it nearly took my life. Arizona Southwest, you know, it's really common to have monsoon storms around August. We're aware that we lived in Arizona, so light showers came in from one of the monsoons. It wasn't unusual for us, but we knew it probably last about an hour, so we moved back to our tents. We noticed that after that storm, the water started getting kind of a turbid brown color, as opposed to the crystal clear, beautiful water that you'd expect there. And we saw the banks of the river were starting to swell a bit. And, you know, when you are in canyon country, that definitely raises some red flags. We started to get a little bit of rain, which isn't unheard of. This is Adam again. We were down at Mooney Falls having a good time and We were heading back up because the water started to turn a little bit brown, not great to swim in. And so we decided that we'd go back to camp, get some rest, see if it cleared up and kind of decide what to do from there. Just started raining really hard. Here's Nathan. And I think the scariest part of that situation was waterfalls began to develop on each side of the cliffs, right? Coming off the top. And I could see rocks coming off the top and that scared me. So this was our first initial scare. The storm passed, the sun came back out. We got back up around Mooney Falls around 6 p.m. that night, our group. Mooney Falls looked like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, the, you know, the chocolate river. And so my buddies were a little spooked. One of the Havasupai Rangers, it was about 6 p.m., one of the Havasupai Rangers started cussing at me. He told me to get out of there because there was a flash flood warning in effect. Nathan and his group were told to move their camp to higher ground, and so they did. Meanwhile, those at the main campground were getting warnings of their own. Here's Mike Dieter. One of the representatives from the village, who was a Bureau of Indian Affairs representative, was moving through camp pretty hurriedly, warning campers that there is flash flooding expected, so it would be a good idea to move up to the higher ground of the camp. Um, a lot of people in our area just basically blew it off. They thought, you know, they'd been there before and had seen that kind of thing. It wasn't really something to worry about. So we, on the other hand, just packed up, moved up above the campground. As Mike Dieter's group was heading to higher ground, Adam Hyam was making a move of his own. We were getting ready to go to bed and a group of us decided that we were gonna go fill up our canteens on the opposite side of the river where they had clean water. And so five of our group went ahead and crossed the river and we were filling up our bottles and we decided, hey, as long as we've got time, we'll just go do some night swimming up at Havasu Falls because it's still clean and it's still good, so why not? And we start walking up to Havasu Falls, which is maybe a, a four or five minute walk. And as we're walking, we start hearing the water a lot louder than we expected. And we're trying to figure out what's going on because it's 
it's it's nighttime it's pitch black in the canyon and you could actually feel the temperature drop considerably and so we keep walking up to the falls and when we get up there it is just you can just hear raging which is different completely contrary to what it normally is and we can't see exactly what's happening we just know that the water is pouring down and so we kind of shine our flashlights and we can see that now Havasu Falls is, is pure mud and that the river has expanded considerably. Uh, it's it's spread out and so we start freaking out. So we run real quick down to back where our campground was and we look across the river and we can no longer see our campground. It is gone. Um, our tents are gone. All of our gear is washed away and we can see our friends the three that we had left behind standing on top of a picnic table far, far off in the dark. It just sounded like a freight train moved through the camp. We heard screams, turned on our headlamps, and we could see people trying to get out of their tents. Water had just rushed through the camp washing out a lot of the tents down below and cut off most of the campers. Some of the tents had been collapsed, so it looked like someone flailing, trying to get out of their tent, who were being probably submerged in water at that point. We went down and tried to assist who we could, but because the storm surge had caused such a dramatic rise in the waters and the water was moving so fast it was just not safe to help a lot of the people out of their tents or try to get them to safety. Here's Nathan again. I was in a deep sleep right next to a flash flood. I had heard the flood in my dream, uh, the snapping of driftwood, and someone from Boulder City had uh, awakened me. That was a very sobering moment getting out of my tent popped on my flashlight and the first thing I saw after I saw the flood water were the floating porta potties. So I watched them go by like rafts in the middle of the night. That's when it kind of dawned on me that we were in a very dangerous situation. I was hoping we could find some way out of there and we were completely cut off on all sides and it literally looked like something bigger than the Colorado River. There were boulders that were rolling in the wash being pushed by this flood water. I, I had never feared for my life like that night. I honestly didn't think I was gonna survive. What had started as a gradual swelling of the river had quickly escalated into a full-blown flash flood. A possible culprit for the unexpected swells, an earthen dam upstream failed. As dozens of campers were desperately trying to get to higher ground, Adam and a few friends were cut off from the rest of their group on the other side of the flood. At this point, the water for them was probably about knee deep. We stayed down there until about midnight, just trying to yell to them, trying to communicate with them. But they couldn't get across the river because it was raging and there was no place for them to go. They were stuck between the deep part of the river and the canyon wall on the far side. 
And so they put the picnic table up against a tree and they climbed up in the tree to get higher. And probably somewhere around midnight, we were told that we had to evacuate that area, that the water was going to be getting higher and that there was nothing we were going to be able to do for our friends that night. We left our friends not really knowing how much the water was going to rise, what was going to happen. And so we, in our minds, we left them clinging to trees, hoping that come daybreak, we were going to be able to find them again. And so we, we were evacuated up above Havasu Falls, and we actually spent that night laying in, in the dirt in an Indian cemetery, because that was the only safe space that was available. We were kind of stuck. A guide helping clients down in the campground was radioing to people up in the village. Another surge was coming. The dam had been breached. That was pure panic mode. Mike Dieter recalls. It came so fast and I knew what had happened already that that was one of those moments where I didn't, I wasn't sure what was gonna happen if we were gonna be able to get out and uh, scared for my life at that point. Moved to the top of the falls, left all our gear, everyone just ran, basically ran up there. And when you get to the top of the falls, you have the river on one side, and on the other side where the canyon wall is, you're cut off by a uh, graveyard that had been there who knows how long, but out of respect, we stayed outside of the graveyard until the guy with the walkie-talkie had confirmed that it was okay to go in there. A group of us found a crack in the canyon wall that we could basically just kind of climb up to a ledge probably 20 to 30 feet above the canyon floor. And about the time we started climbing, we heard that surge rush in again, freight train just ripping through. It sounded like earth was just being ripped out. The ground was shaking beneath our feet. And we could actually hear trees getting ripped out with this one. So we got to a ledge where it was, everyone could safely sit without having to worry about falling in. Looking down below, it was just mass destruction down there. The swallowing up huge pieces of earth and where we were standing outside the graveyard was gone. That was just all water at that point. There was a lot of people that got cut off from their group, didn't know if their friends were safe, dead, or what. Adam Hyam was one of those people. It wasn't just our group in the cemetery. It was probably a hundred of us. Everybody from the campgrounds had been evacuated to the cemetery to sleep for the night. It was really, really solemn. Uh, we were abandoning our friends. And that was a huge struggle for us. I mean, it just absolutely gut-wrenching as you're sitting in a safe area, in a cemetery, hoping that your friends are gonna be okay, that they got high enough into the trees that they're not gonna get tired and fall in. You're hoping that the trees, I mean, we're seeing trees flow down the river, the temperatures dropped and, and it was truly cold there. 
I spent most of the night trying to figure out if there was any way that we could get to our friends I felt a lot of responsibility for. So I went ahead and I went back down as far as I could back down and got up on the ridge above where the campgrounds were and tried to see if I could see him, tried to see if I could yell to him and wasn't having any luck. Tried to see if we could wade into the water and go the direction of where uh, my friends were stranded, but the current was just too strong. Uh, we couldn't make it, so we had to pull back and go back up the way that we had come. It was it was a struggle not knowing uh, exactly what was going on with our friends. Uh, all we could do was pray and, and hope for the best. Meanwhile, back down below, Nathan and a handful of his friends were trapped with water on both sides, raging with few options for escape. Then, as hope began to dwindle, people from the Havasupai village appeared on the other side. You know, the Havasupais on the other side, you know, we couldn't ever hear them because the, the roar of the flood water was so loud. You could shout out to the top of your lungs and you wouldn't be able to hear these people on the other side. There was this young kid, this young Havasupai kid, probably about 17 years old, that had really good hollering skills. And he shouted at the top of his lungs and we could barely hear. He says, you guys are gonna perish. You guys are gonna die unless you listen to me. He says, you have three choices. You could die in the flood. You could climb a tree and hope to survive the next wall of water coming down the canyon, or you can come across the lifeline right now. The villagers had brought two old frayed ropes and strung them across the water, one to stand on like a tightrope and the other to grip for balance. Nathan and his friends would have to traverse 45 feet above the gushing flood water, but it looked like the ropes might snap under their weight. We had this line constructed and nobody had the courage to go across the water. That's how nasty the deathly current of this flood water looked to us. It was just unnerving. I literally tried to climb a tree, a cottonwood tree, in cowboy boots. You know how cowboy, how, how slippery and slick cowboy boots is. There's no tread on them. They're, they're shiny as a whistle underneath. I realized there, I wasn't climbing any tree, so guess what? I scratched that one off. It was coming face to face with my maker while I'm sitting here trying to climb a tree in the thought of dying. This was a this was a moment of reckoning where I realized I could die. That was a really, really, really sobering, dark moment. So it was like, okay, I, ha I, I don't have a choice. I gotta go across the lifeline or die. That That's a pretty simple, when you, when you rule all the other options out, and you got those two options, die in a flood or go across the lifeline, what are you gonna do? And that's when the fight or fight response kicked in. And it was like, you gotta go across this lifeline. That's your only, that's your only solid bet. My two buddies wouldn't come across. They climbed up the trees. I wasn't the first one to go across. There was one person before me, felt so selfish going across that lifeline and not stay over there and persuade them to go across the lifeline before I did. I was, I felt totally guilty that I had left my buddies behind. It was pure adrenaline. 
I realized that my cowboy boots worked to my advantage as I was going across the lifeline because the heel, it helped me keep my balance. I tried to go across with my backpack and there was not enough balance for me to maintain the pack and go across the line. So I ended up having to discard the pack and I never saw the pack again. And I nearly fell in, by the way, going across the lifeline. It was that flimsy, but I made it. So, you know what I started feeling? Survivor's guilt. I started to cry, I started to break down. I was like, my, but my best friends from, you know, from my hometown were stuck on the other side. And we were all trying to shout at them as loud as we could. And they finally showed up at the very last minute, just in the nick of time when the flood water started to go up. And they got across the flood line as the flood was rising. They finally went across. As we looked back down at our, our camp, our high ground, it was completely inundated with flood water. It completely covered all the high ground that we had, that had kept us safe all night. And this is after the earth and dam broke. So we were lucky. I think we were genuinely lucky. It was a miracle that this flood, that more people didn't perish. With Nathan's group reunited, they scrambled up the canyon walls and followed the Havasupai rescuers back to the village. As the sun began to rise, Adam and his splintered group were being evacuated up to the village as well and anxiously awaiting news of their friends. They started having people climb up this cliff to, to get out of that area because the river had rearranged the path so much that there was no direct route back up to the village. It was kind of disheartened. And about an hour later, uh, we received news that they had rescued our friends. Two of the tribesmen had gone down there with ropes, had rappelled down the cliffs, and were able to get to where they were. They weren't able to get all the way. I, I know of at least one member of our group that actually had to jump in the water and just let the river flush her towards where the tribesmen were and then they reached down into the water and grabbed her out of the water. From her telling of it, she said she didn't know what would have happened if they hadn't grabbed her hand when they did because the water was so strong, it was pushing her so hard, she doesn't think she could have stopped herself. With the trails cut off from the flood, the task of evacuating the hundreds of campers was monumental. Survivors were shepherded to the Supai village to wait for helicopter evacuations. Some waited overnight, camping out on a basketball court with little shade from the blistering Arizona sun. Many had lost their gear, wallets, and car keys, but they were left to reflect on how things could have ended much worse. You know, you always hear about flash floods and hear about the concerns about it. The dam broke up river and there was no way that we could have known before it actually occurred. I can't imagine what would have happened if we would have decided to get water two minutes later and we had been crossing the river uh, at that time because we had literally crossed the river within two minutes of when this flash flood hit. We were in that water, uh, waist deep. And so if we would not have gotten in and out when we did, there's, there's no telling how bad things could have gotten for us. Since then, anytime I'm traveling in the backcountry, whether it's backcountry skiing or climbing or hiking, just 
keeping my head on a swivel and if I see anything or hear anything that just says, you know, you, you need to turn around, I go with that. You think that this would scare me from ever wanting to go back to have a supai, but it didn't. It didn't scare me. It became a, a life bonding experience to that place and to the Havasupai people. It's, it's a sacred place to me now because my life was spared and the canyon taught me something about myself. And the Havasupai people became more important to me than Havasupai. The people down there are some of the most incredible people I have ever met in my life. They were out there in the flood water risking their lives. They don't want these people dying on their watch, right? They saved my life. This episode of Adelaide was produced by me, Louisa Albanese, along with Zoe Gates. Story editing and sound design was by Andrew Mayers. Our scriptwriters were Andrew Mayers and Zoe Gates. This episode was mixed by Jason McDaniel from Electric Audio Inc. Thank you to Adam Hyam, Michael Dieter, and Nathan Kalishaw for sharing your stories and perspectives. If you enjoyed this episode of Out Alive, please subscribe and leave us a review. 